prayed and looked back and give thanks to God this morning, I want to remind you that we are now beginning reap year number six. Amen. 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 Reap year six. Praise God. Many years ago, let's see, I believe it was um, 2007, we had a, a theme for that year, Days Like Heaven in 2007. And you know, some people thought it was corny, but I it was convinced as anything that the Lord had spoke that to me, as he had anything previously that he had spoken to me to deliver this family of faith. And, and I don't know, 2008, 2009, there were some people kind of soured about it. They're like, man, what? What happened to all that, Pastor Mark? You know, you was talking about all that stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I, amen. I, I, don't, can't, I can't speak for everybody, but um, those years were. 2007 was like days of heaven for, for a lot of us, amen. And so anytime the Lord speaks to us, we have to remember that it, it has to be received into our lives by faith. There's nothing in this book that's automatic as it relates to your life and future that you have to believe it, act on it, um, renew your mind to it. And so again, we are beginning today, reap year six, amen. And I want you to believe God for this year to be a significant shift. That's another word that he spoke to us beginning of this year, amen, amen, amen. Now, in seeking the Lord about what to share this morning, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about leading up to the first Sunday in June 1998. Um, I had known since I was a small child that I was called to be a servant leader in the body of Christ, to, to, to preach the Word of God. I like to travel, and I tried every way in the world to make myself a traveling evangelist, traveling minister, but... I mean, it was obvious to me and anybody that knew me that I was called a pastor. And Matt and I often say that I started preaching before I could drive a car, but thankfully he was old enough to drive one. And uh, back in those days, my my grandparents, my Mimi especially, she she was like an agent for us. She would book us in every little nursing home or community center or uh, block church in Bessemer. I mean, it didn't matter. Anywhere she could find somebody that would let her grandsons come and preach and they bought us matching suits, and I know there's got to be pictures of that somewhere, but I don't know. Um, they might be with those bathtub pictures when we were little that, you know, maybe one of us was smart enough to get rid of those, but anyway. Um, and um, so Pam and I were married, and we began serving in churches, and youth pastors, associate pastors, and I'm thankful for all those experiences. Don't misunderstand me. But I found myself everywhere I served trying to change the church into what I believed a church was supposed to be. And the Lord corrected me on that. He said, these people have what they want here. These people have what they want here, and you're getting into error by judging them. And again, I just kind of put that on the shelf as my mom and dad taught me and continued to do what I felt like the Lord had called us to do. And, and um, 
But it became obvious to me, and I want you to know, hear my heart on this, it became obvious to me that I was not cut out, and nor was I interested in the politics and, and the religion and, and all these things that, that we had experienced. As a matter of fact, I told Pam, I said, baby, if that's ministry, it ain't for me. And so we started a cabinet business. And the Lord taught us a lot in business, things that we had learned in ministry, guess what we found out? They worked in business just like they worked in ministry. And it was a very important, often, you know, tell folks that that was uh, my higher education, (laughs) those years that I spent in business, because it was more than just money, it was learning how to manage people and work with people and and, uh, deal with um, situations, so forth and so on. And towards the end of that run, the Lord told me, he said, now I've taught you a lot of things when there was nothing, there was nothing at stake but money. He said, but where I'm taking you next, he said, it's people's lives and eternities that are at stake. Amen. The Lord began to um, deal with Pam and I about starting a church. As a matter of fact, it's uh, what we call Wally's Top Ten back in the cabinet shop days. Um, some of you are here. By the way, anybody that was here in the, what we call the cabinet shop days, anybody? Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. So um, those of you who don't know what we mean when we say that, Pam and I had a cabinet shop about four or five blocks that way, and that's where this church began in the showroom of our cabinet shop first Sunday of June 1998, so that's where we get the 25. It was actually June the 7th. But obviously we're celebrating our 25th anniversary today. <clears throat> anyway, um, I was going somewhere with that, and it was probably something I just needed to move on from. But, but we had, the Lord began to deal with us and, and about starting a church. And even a couple of years before that, we had two different people approach us and said, look, you know, we, we believe in you. We believe that you guys are supposed to pastor. And uh, we can't pay you a salary, but we'll pay the overhead and, and, and rent a building. If, if, and I was like, oh, no, no, I could never do that, you know. Because everyone that I had ever seen that started a church, it was like they were mad at somebody. They had an axe to grind. They were trying to prove something. And so I resisted that. And so back to Wally's top ten, there was... In those days, people would look at all the cassette tapes, and they were like, which one of those should we listen to? And so Wally selected his ten favorites, and so that was the Wally's top ten. And I think it was either one or two. I don't remember the list, but it was full circle. I know you remember that one from the showroom days. Um, full circle. And the will of God for your life is not linear. It's cyclical. Amen. It's cyclical. And so what happens is he brings us to a point of decision, and if we resist that or reject that, he automatically begins to start bringing us back around to it. And so on the third trip around, (laughs) because there was another gentleman, um, and he and his wife, they found out that I called their names not long ago, and they didn't like that. They wanted to remain anonymous. But um, they were not just believers in Pam and I, but they 
were believers in what God was doing here at Heritage, and they gave the church $175,000. And this was in 1999, so that, amen, that's a, that was a huge, huge gift. And, um, of course, we bought this property uh, with that money. And, um, but the Lord said something to me as I struggled and wrestled with launching out into what we now know is 25 years later, Heritage Christian Center, a family of faith. He said that heritage would be different and that we shouldn't try to be like other places. And this was the one, and I'll never forget it. A thousand years from now, man, I'll never forget it. He said, a cry has come up before my throne for the church that I will build in Hueytown called Heritage Christian Center. He said there were people who wanted a place like what we have here. Now listen, there's a lot of great churches. There's great churches within, you know, three miles from here. And that's nothing against any of them. But my heart and Pam's heart was to have a place where people could come if you had a lot of money or if you didn't have a lot of money. Where you could come if you were married with three children or had been divorced. We wanted a place where people could come no matter what color their skin was, no matter what issues they had had in the past or what they may still be struggling with. Amen. Amen. Matt and I grew up with a young man who struggled with homosexuality. And we love him, love him to this day. It was very sad because we, we never felt comfortable inviting him to the church that we ministered at because the senior pastor was frequently known to make fun of people who struggled in those areas from the pulpit. Now listen, please hear me. God loves you as he finds you, but he loves you enough to not to leave you the way he finds you. Amen? So that, that's, you know, I'm, amen. Amen. We were raised up in a church where my dad was trained on what to do if someone with the wrong skin color came into the sanctuary and how to politely and gently but firmly get rid of them. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, right? And so this was what was in mine and Pam's heart, and the Lord said that there were other people who were looking for a place like this. And I'm thankful that people are still looking for a place like this 25 years later. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen. Now, that leads me to what I want to look at in the Word this morning. One of my struggles in areas that, when I say struggles, one of the things that I kept saying no to was under some of the previous leadership that I was under, it was like, I know now that it wasn't, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is there's freedom, there's liberty. And I would, you know, full-time work all week hard to come up with one sermon and, you know, I'm like, Lord, how in the world will I be able to prepare sermons three times a week? And, you know, in those days, the cabinet business was, was booming. I mean, we, there were days that I just worked in, you know, people show up for the next morning, I'd have the same clothes on from yesterday because I never went home. And I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't see how that's, that's going to work. And, of course, a group of men gathered around me that Saturday night before our first Sunday and, and Tom Roberts. He's on the other side now, but he prophesied that every sermon I preached would give birth 
to three more. And I thought, man, that would be great, you know. <laughs> uh, and I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to, that's, that's a big leap, but I'm going to believe it. Well, that first Wednesday night, I prepared a sermon on prayer. My plans were to preach on prayer on Wednesday nights for the first, I don't know, couple of months. And I did that, if I recall correctly. Then the next Wednesday night, I was preparing a sermon on prayer, and the Lord led me to John chapter 2. And there were things that just leapt off the page at me. And I said, Lord, this is, this is hot off the press. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this tonight, but then we'll get back to the prayer thing, what I thought would be the next Wednesday night. The following week, it was the same deal. And I think it was 162 Wednesdays in a row that we went to John chapter 2 in the beginning days of Heritage Christian Center. Now, if you're not familiar with this passage, this is where Jesus began his earthly ministry. This is where Jesus performed his first miracle. And what the Lord was saying to us back in those days as a family of faith, that if we wanted to finish the way Jesus finished, we needed to begin where he began. And so I want to read it to you this morning. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. My mother writes a date and the name, like if somebody preaches from a passage of Scripture, she'll put the date and whoever it was beside it. And um, I remember looking at her Bible. She had, in John chapter 2, she had written all over every margin, every... John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So if, if you do the math, if it's just 20 gallons times six, that's, that's 120 gallons of water. That's, that's, a, that's a significant amount of water. And it wasn't like they went over to the hydrant and turned on the spigot and had you know, one of those fancy flex hoses that expands out for them to fill, right? They had to haul that water up out of the ground to refill those pots. And those pots, when it says the manner of purification of the Jews, they were used for the ceremonial foot washing of the guests. Okay, now let's keep reading here. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up halfway. Is that what it says? No. They filled them up to the brim, and the literal wording the literal translation in the Greek is that they filled them up past the brim. Fill them up past the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs, some translations say miracles. It was a miracle. 
But the difference between a, a miracle and calling it a sign is that it pointed to something greater. This beginning of miracles Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, let me just cover a few things, a few takeaways this morning, and then we'll partake of communion, okay? Well, the first things we see is that, and I think there's an issue with this slide. No, it's good. It just broke up funny on mine. One of the first simple things that we see is Jesus accepts invitations and always shows up where he's welcomed. Amen. We, we want to be a place where Jesus is welcomed. Jesus had a place on earth when he was here that he was more welcome than any other. And that was in Bethany at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house. Jesus could relax there because everybody in that house loved him and welcomed him and supported his ministry. Jesus accepts invitations and always shows up where he is welcomed. Amen. Here's the next thing that we learn from this. It doesn't have to be a life or death situation for Jesus to be willing to help. See, we think, you know, it's just got to be some major serious diagnosis or some kind of problem that only God can fix. And, 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 and yet we see a completely different um, side, if you will, of of who God is. Remember now, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So he's not just showing us who he is. He's showing us who God is. It doesn't have to be a life or death situation for Jesus to be willing to help. We also see in this passage Jesus' humanity in his reluctance to step from the obscurity of the carpenter shop. It's like, Mom, this doesn't have anything to do with us. You know, we're, we're just guests here. We're not responsible. We're not the caterers. We're... we're you know, um, and yet his mother, his mother saw things, amen? Who's thankful for a godly parents that try to draw things out of you, amen? And of course, we know Jesus never did anything unless his father told him or showed him to do it. But I believe it was the prompting of his mother that caused Jesus to take a step back. You ever had somebody ask you to do something, you're like, oh man, no. and then you think about it for a few minutes, it's like, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. They were right. We see Jesus' humanity and his reluctance to step from the obscurity of the carpenter shop. You see, when he released the glory of God that was within him on that first miracle, it got people's attention. And it has held people's attention to this very day. No longer was he the questionable, uh, you know, born of a virgin, you know, people who whispered about that behind his back, you know, and kept a low profile. You say, well, how do we know that, Pastor Mark? Because Galatians tells us he was born under the law, born of a virgin, and as one born under the law, he could not begin his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. But Jesus knew when he turned that water into wine, there'd be no going back. And he knew where that path led. It led to a Roman cross. 
And I don't know, we probably preached a year and a half just on this one right here, and we could still do it today, right? Whatever he says to you, do it. I would encourage you to adopt that as a life-governing truth. Whatever he says to you, do it. We also see in this first miracle, Jesus desires to partner with us in the working of miracles. If he could have turned the water into wine, he could have supernaturally filled the pots with water. But he wanted to work together with other people in producing miracles that would glorify his Father. We also learned in this that a servant is one whose will is altogether consumed by another. That's a doulos. This word servants. I think it's interesting at this point that Jesus didn't ask his disciples to fill the water pots with water. I'm not sure they were mature enough yet to do whatever he said to them. Because it seemed rather ridiculous. If you understand the flow of the ceremony, there's no need for those pots to be filled with water again. And yet, these men, their will was altogether consumed by someone else. And this is what positioned them to have a strategic role in this miracle. We also see in this that faith without works is dead. Jesus didn't say, hand me a cup full of that and let me pray over it and then I'll take it to the governor of the feast. No. He said, all right, guys, you've done all the heavy lifting here. You go and give him the wine. Can you imagine them like, are you serious? It gets a little deeper. Earthen vessels filled past the brim with water, which was in turn transformed into wine. Say, What's the big deal about that, Pastor Mark? That's exactly what he came to do for you and me. You are an earthen vessel. And the water is symbolic of his word and the wine is symbolic of his Holy Spirit. We also know that the wine overflowed the earthen vessel as well as seeping through it. Can somebody say filled with the Spirit to overflowing? Amen. But the same, the same God who, who wants to fill you to overflowing with His Spirit also wants Him to leak from you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. The inward realities. We didn't have that phrase back in those days, but we know it now. It's the inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of last. Then we see he manifested forth his glory, which literally means he took the lid off. He took the lid off. In other words, the glory of God that was in him had been concealed. But now, on this day in the wedding feast of Cana, we say it was a miracle, and it was, but but it was also an opening of a can on the devil the glory of God in a human vessel now being released upon the earth. And then the last thing, and we'll end it here, is that Jesus always saves the best for last. Amen. 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 Good things coming. Good things coming. Praise God.
Singers, musicians, y'all come on, praise God. Brother Donald Ballard, would you come and pray over the communion for us? Amen. I am, uh, I'm going to go take a seat, brother, praise God. Amen. I'm going to carry my Gatorade down here and wait for the juice. Amen.